Well, I want to welcome you to another episode of John Wesley United Methodist Church in Houston, Texas podcast. I'm Marty Dunbar, one of the pastors. We are a church that connects people to Jesus. We're going through our present series for the Christmas season. I pray that you will be inspired by this message and have a great week. Well, I think at some point in time in our life, we've all used the phrase, or maybe you have heard the phrase used, it's a keeper, right? You've heard that maybe about someone, she's a keeper, right? He's a keeper. It means they have these qualities and these values that you feel like you want them in your life, right? You can give the time and effort and attention to build a relationship with. So you've heard somebody say, it's a keeper, right? You get a gift and you're like, hey, is that a keeper? Yeah, it's a keeper. I'm going to keep that, right? Um, that's the, the part of, as a Christmas time, we have get all sorts of different gifts, and we wonder, you know, am I is that person really going to keep that gift or just receive that gift? You know, there's a difference. I mean, so you can like receive a gift and you can open it, and whether you want to really keep it or not, right? And it enters into your life. Now, you've probably all participated at some point in time in a white elephant gift exchange, or maybe a gift exchange before, and the object of gift exchanges are you bring a gift, and you sit around, and everybody opens, and then you can steal, and you can pass, and do all those different things. White elephant gifts, you, you can bring a, a piece of junk, or you can bring something that's pretty valuable. We used to do a gift exchange with uh, Jamie's side of the family, the Jordan side. She has a lot of cousins and aunts, uncles, and we'd all get together before Christmas, and we would all bring gifts, and the kids would have their own little gift exchange, and then the adults would have their own little gift exchange. And because of some of the problems with the gift exchange and the issues, we ended up having the kids had their own gift exchange, and then the women had their own gift exchange, and the men had their own gift exchange. And you know what I'm talking about, because that was the thing, is you would like open something up and you would go, just what I need, a new wrench, you know, a new snap-on tool. And I would be like, I need one of those. And it was like in some female's hands and they didn't really care. Or possibly I opened something and nothing wrong with this, but I don't need a basket full of lotion, right? Uh, or bath bombs. That's just not my thing. And so uh, that's what happened. And so that's why we moved to this whole, the women had theirs and the men had theirs. And, and we would open those kind of interesting gifts. You'd be like, okay, that's somebody else's taste in uh, picture frames. You know what I'm talking about? Or, or uh, somebody else's uh, taste in Christmas decorations. And we'd just look at somebody and go, that's a keeper. You're stuck with that, right? I mean, you're, that's a keeper. You're going to be stuck with that. Uh, anybody, uh, um, an angler in here, like to fish in here? People, yeah, there's some uh, people that like to fish. If you're an angler and you fish, you understand that they're a phrase, a keeper, that's a keeper, because there are certain sort of qualities or measurements that a fish has to have for you to keep the fish. Uh, some bass, you have to have an 18 inches. They have to be 18 inches for you to keep that bass. And so you also have limitations on consumption, how many you can actually put in your what's called a daily bag. And so you can only have up to five usually. And so uh, if you got a fish and you only had four in your bag, you can say, that's a keeper. You know, if it measures right and, and, and you say, that's a keeper and you put it in your daily bag. So when we use this term, a keeper, 
There's different ways of using it. The first, of course, is that it's a keeper. It has some sort of value, has some sort of worth. Like this present might have some sort of value, some sort of worth, and it's a keeper. I want to keep it. And then there's another way of using that is to say somebody is a keeper of something, right? Like a zookeeper is a keeper of animals. A beekeeper keeps bees. Or I am now a keeper of this present. I'd love any, anybody under uh, 10 years old in here. Anybody under 10? I want to come up and I want to give this to somebody who's under 10. Anybody who kind of comes, I just need one person. Ah, there he is. He jumped up, Mr. Jackson. All right, bro. Now I'll give you this. You, you can keep it. You can pass it on, whatever you want to do with it. Okay. You don't have to open it. You can open it later. Just don't pass whatever's in there. Don't pass it out quite yet. If you do. Okay. Kind of noisy. So anyway, all right, that's your gift. All right. Whether he keeps it or not. Listen, this is what we're celebrating. We're celebrating this gift that God has given us, the gift of Jesus Christ in this baby. And this baby grows up has become a man who, through his life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection, we believe certain things as Christians. We believe certain things as people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. And so we believe that Jesus is a keeper. We believe that we have received a gift in grace. We open it in faith and then it is worthy, it has worth and value to us that we would keep it. That Jesus is a keeper. And because Jesus is the gift, right? We talked about in the last couple of weeks, Jesus is a gift of redemption. And the reason why God wants to give us a gift of redemption is so that he gives us this present of Jesus as an instrument to actually bring us into his very presence, here and now and for all eternity. And so Jesus is this beautiful value, a gift. He's a keeper, but he also possesses something. Jesus, fully human, fully divine, is a keeper of the very presence of God. We have this term, and we sing about it, and we talk about it, Emmanuel. means God with us, right? Jesus, God with us. This redemption that has come to us in Jesus is, a, is his quality, and then he's a savior. That's his sort of value and worth, and we receive it again in grace, and we open it in faith. So it's not only God with us, but it's God in us. Not just God with us, Emmanuel, but God in us. In faith, we become the very keepers of God's presence, don't we? God in us. Talks about it throughout scripture. We've been looking at different scriptures, not exactly the, the Christmas story, but some of the foundational understandings of what the Christmas story actually tells us. We're all familiar with the Christmas story, aren't we? Uh, whether we understand it all and understand all its little meanings, we're, we're very familiar with the Christmas story. And so we've been talking about some of these fundamental understanding behind the Christmas story and what it tells us as God's very presence born into the world. What does that do? How does that change our life? So if you got your Bible, pull out your Bible. If you got your scriptures on your device, pull them out. And we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2 at verses 4 through 12. I'm going to break it down a little bit along the way, but here's what it says in its entirety of this passage. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. 
He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust in him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble and the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. 11 verse 4 Peter says, you are coming to Christ. So we've talked about how we enter in the very presence of God because God seeks to draw near to us. He wants this relational closeness. He wants to be close. He wants to be present in the world, in our lives. And Peter says, you are coming to Christ. He's assuming that you are trying to draw near. Again, he is writing to early Christians who are followers of Jesus. And so he assumes they are drawing near. They understand the very value of Jesus and the worth to be in a relationship with this Lord and this Savior. And then he goes on, he says, Christ is a living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. So Jesus, described as a rock or a stone, which was actually a common image for the Messiah in the Jewish uh, understanding of things and the early Christians as well, but this common imagery, and then Jesus is a living stone. Jesus has been resurrected. He is not dead. He's not a God that's dead. He is alive. And this stone was given, says by God, and it has this great value. And as a follower of Christ, we see and we should understand the very value of it in our lives. Uh, yes, there's other things in life that seem to have value, and they do have value. But a lot of times the world is saying, hey, this is so much more valuable than this foundational understanding of who Jesus is. And he is a keeper. He's a keeper. Verse five says, you, you and I, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. In faith, something is happening. Transformation is happening. We're becoming more like Christ, more like this servant king that we follow, that we're called to follow. Individually, we are becoming this, but corporately as well. 
And when we gather together as the church, something happens, right? Because we're individually growing to become what God seeks for us to become, but also corporately. And so there's this temple, this individual temple, but then there's this corporate temple. And we are the very keepers of the presence of God, the body of Christ. Now, this is a concept of a new temple. Understanding this is so vitally important because it gives us a high view of God, a high view of humanity as well. It's this new concept that Jesus Christ is the very presence of God. And Jesus Christ as the presence of God is basically the new temple. And the old temple is obsolete. And there is no temple in heaven, right? Because God's presence is just everywhere. Now, the Jewish temple was so vitally important to the Jews during Jesus' time, right? The temple was uh, in this particular place, right? And, and it had great honor, and, and it was this dwelling place of God. And if it was the tabernacle or the temple or whatever that housed the Ark of the Covenant, and, and it was the dwelling place of God, the temple. When you said the temple of God, you understood it was a building and it was a dwelling place of God. So, God in their midst, in this building, in this room, in this place. Now, Jesus and the early Christians, we begin to understand there's this new concept of a, another type of temple. Because that old temple had limitations. It had physical limitations, right? Because you and I, we couldn't be in its presence all the time. There were people across the world or people in other areas that had to travel miles and miles and take months to, to get into supposedly God's very presence at that temple. And it was associated, that temple was associated with the law. It was associated with the sacrificial system. It wasn't associated with prayer. It wasn't associated with worship. Jesus actually comes in and he sort of cleans out all the money changers in his ministry. And he says, my father's house will be a house of prayer, right? Because it was about something else. And then their separation was there because it was actually designed into the very building of the temple. That you couldn't, as a woman, get into a particular area. A man, you couldn't get into a particular area. Even as a priest, you could only go to certain areas. And then the high priest could only go into that supposed presence of God. And only once a year. And, and you could die in the presence of God like that. And so it, it had all these separate limitations. But this new temple of Jesus Christ, there is no separation between the divine and humanity. I love how John chapter 1 verse 14 puts it. Probably know it well. So the word became human. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And he was seen, uh, we have seen his glory in the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Now the word became this. The word was equal to God there. So God became flesh. God became incarnate as we would say, incarnation of God. He became, he dwelt among us. He, he actually tabernacled among us. Uh, you could say the word there actually dwell and, and tabernacle means he pitched a tent, right? So he actually came in and he pitched a tent and he stakes his claim and he, and he took up residency. See, the Christmas story is a whole new way of looking at our understanding of human history. 
and humanity and who we are and what does it mean to be human because this new temple says God's very dwelling place is a human body. That elevates humanity. It elevates you and I. It elevates even the flesh and creation. Jesus opens up the temple of God to people who are declared unfit and unclean and and folks that are lame and addicted and and have all sorts of problems and are are supposedly unworthy. And, And the new temple is open to them and they can be the temple of the living God. Wow, Ephesians chapter two, verse 22, the apostle Paul is speaking here. It says, through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Speaking to, to people you know, who are beyond the, the Jewish Christian world, but the pagan world, the people outside, supposedly the chosen people. And, and he says, you Gentiles are being made into the very dwelling place as well that God by his spirit will dwell. And they understood this, the, the, the Ephesians did. As he writes this little letter to the people at Ephesus, they, they had the um, temple of Artemis there. As they walked out of their house or around their town, they would have seen this glorious thing. It was like one of the seven wonders of the world, an amazing, glorious temple, bigger and grander than the temple in Jerusalem at that time. And so they would have understood this. He was talking about a temple. Wow, a temple. And we become that because he's basically saying, and Peter is saying, and we hear this understanding of the Christmas story that Jesus Christ was born into the world so that we could find redemption and we could have the presence of God live within us, that God no longer is out there in that temple that sits up on a mountain, but God is now in here, and we are keepers of the divine. Scary thought a little bit, isn't it? But why would it be scary if we view God as love and grace, mercy and forgiveness and and it's hope to me that I can change and I can be regenerated and redeemed each and every day and I can find forgiveness and and this ongoing thing as we call it sanctification, a big word, but it's an ongoing process that we are a project, that we are built into a house in which God seeks to dwell each and every day and we're called to live like Jesus. We're called to set our hearts and our minds on the things of God and that's our part. We actually have some part in this, right? God wants us to to work towards the things that he loves and he wants us to be about. Now, in this verses five, the end of verse five through verse eight, and go back to Peter. He said, through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices, and we're gonna come back to that, spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust in him recognize the honor God has given him. He's a keeper, right? But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble and the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. 
So these spiritual sacrifices, what exactly is Peter talking about? I think he's talking about what we spoke about last week. We talked about a life submitted to Christ. If you say you're a follower of Christ and you want to live with God's very presence in you, you have to live in a way that's very humble. You can't bow up and be proudful. And you have to live a life that is submitting and humble and replace those evil desires of pride and, and ungodly characters in our life with the, the fruits of the Spirit, compassion and mercy and love and, and peace and hope. And, and we want to run after those things. And we do it by the very power of the divine that lives within us. We don't do it by ourselves. But we're compelled to do it as God wells up inside of us. In verse nine and 10, it said, but you are not like that. For you are chosen people. You are royal priesthood. Or you are royal priests, the holy nation, God's very own possession as a result. You can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. In order, other words, you are a keeper. God has given you an identity. He has got, he's given you a purpose. He's given you a reason. And when you take upon faith and trust in him, he actually enters inside of you and you have value and identity and purpose. And you're a keeper to God. God's a keeper of you. He, 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 want, he longs to be in your presence, right? But you're a keeper of the very presence of God. And we have calling and purpose in that. Verse nine, it said, you can show others the goodness of God. So there's something that wells up inside of us and, and change begins to happen and transformation and how do we affect people. One thing that we've been doing in the Dunbar household for the last few days is watching high school football. Um, it's been the state championships and it's been a lot of fun to watch. And on Thursday night, there's uh, the Newton Eagles won back to, you know, they won another state championship, which is pretty awesome. A lot of people know Newton in this church because they used to go to Newton for our Oasis youth trip. And so they went there for like 10 years. And so Newton has a sort of special place in people's hearts in this church. Well, it was cool because W.T. Johnston is the Newton High School football coach. And you might have seen this little video, this little speech to his players, and he spoke to a reporter after the game as well. Well, WT was diagnosed in 2015 with this rare and possibly fatal disease, uh, Graf's versed host. I've never heard of it, but he needed a lung transplant, okay? And he had a lung transplant, he got a little better, but then ultimately the doctor said, you have about eight months to live. And he actually coached the, the team all through the season, and he was there, and wow, what a spectacular thing to be when your second straight 3A Division II championship in his 30 years of being a high school football coach. Well, his post-game speech, to me, is a testimony that he's a keeper of God, God in him, and it begins to pour out, and he talks about the gifts in his life, and let's, let's listen to what he says. You've shared an emotional moment with a number of your players before we got a chance to talk to you. How special is this group, and what do they mean to you to be able to do this again? Well, this has been a long journey. I can't describe it. I can't, I'd have to have an hour to tell you. 
uh, we got together in, in August, right before we started practicing. And I told him this is, I probably wouldn't make it through the season. I was only given eight months to live. And I wanted him to be aware of what was going on. And and then we got a little going, and there's about two or three weeks during the season, I didn't think I was going to make it. And we talked about that. And I always told him this was the last lesson I'm going to teach him. I've been around these guys and their dads and their mothers since 1991. And I told him this would be the last lesson I would ever teach him is how to live to you before you die and where you put your strength and where you put your uh, belief. Uh, the Lord has done so much for me. That's unbelievable what Jesus has let me do and see through these kids. And I tell everybody they don't understand this. I've been given a great gift. And people just don't understand that. The gift is I've been able to see how my life could affect people before I die. And these guys, I mean, they've touched my life. And uh, it's been a mutual thing. But I've been able to teach them a lesson that you don't get to see most times. And uh, I told them last night we talked about they talking about wanting to win for me. This is their time. I've had my time. This is these kids' time. This is awful. I told them, do it for your, your teammates. Do it for you. Because 50 years from now, this will be something they can always, they'll always remember this. This will be a special time. I mean, they'll remember me. If I've done right, a part of me is going to live in them. And that's why I've always thought, if I've done things right. Um, I'll try to put things in the right perspective. Um, so I think I think we're all good on that. I talked to you last year about Newton, special place. Newton's a special place to coach. You can't find a better place. You can't find better people, fans. They've taken care of me. Uh, it's unbelievable, but just today, uh, what I've seen. But I've got a great bunch of kids, and they play hard. They are incredibly lucky to have you, and thank you for allowing us to share this journey with you. Congratulations on the win, and go enjoy it with your team. Thank you. Thank you all. That's a, a powerful interview to me because it really shows somebody who has received the gift, opened it, and then actually is a keeper of it and begins to uh, show the world how valuable Christ is and somebody at the pinnacle, right, really of, of success in, in their own industry, but says, you know, the greatest gift for me is this, is my faith. And I think about that, God with us, right? God with us in everyday life. God with us in the best and the worst days and the valleys and the mountaintops. God with us in sorrow and change and confusion and joy. God with us. And God not waiting for us to have it all together to come to us. Again, the birth of Jesus Christ says, I want to draw near to you. I want to be a God who knows you and spends time with you and works to be in your presence. And so I give you this gift. Receive it. Open it. It's a keeper. And that's the Christmas story. God with us, in us. You and I, we're keepers. We're keepers of God and we're keepers to God. Let's go to God in prayer. Gracious God, thank you so much for loving us, 
for seeking to draw close to us and be in a relationship with us. And that actually, your birth into this world and this new temple that you seek to, to have and take up residence in each one of us changes things, Lord. It might even change and transform some of us who've said we have followed you for years, Lord. It might actually renew some hope, some need for transformation in our life, some strength that we need, Lord, because you take up residence in us. And again, Lord, we are keepers to you, but we are keepers of you. Lord, thank you for what you continue to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I hope you enjoyed this message. And if you did, I invite you to support our ministry by giving online at jwumc.org give. I also would invite you to find a church to attend on a regular basis or join us at John Wesley on Sunday mornings at 8.15, 9 o'clock, and 11.15. God bless and have a great week.